Well, good morning, church. It's so great to have so many of you joining us online. It's so great to see you who are here today as well. And uh, happy Mother's Day. Mom, moms, I'm going to sound uh, uh, like uh, I'm making uh, a bit of an, an understatement, but we are so grateful for you. Uh, you have always been our biggest cheerleaders, and uh, today is a day for us to, to cheer you on. And I'm personally excited today that Mother's Day really pairs well uh, with our uh, scriptural topic for the day, uh, and that is joy. Uh, we are taking a joy ride through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, this is a book that while written by a guy who's in prison, is a book that is just filled with joy. And as John Hewlett shared with us last week, the joy that we find in Christ often comes from very surprising situations. And today is no exception. Uh, today we want to talk about joyful humility. We're going to be in the second chapter of Philippians. And I want to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word. One of our main themes in this series is that the, the letter to, to the Philippians teaches us that true joy is not just a collection of pleasant circumstances. Now I wanna be real clear, I've got no problem with pleasant circumstances. Whenever I book a hotel, right after I look at the price, uh, I always wanna know what pleasant circumstances uh, go with this uh, price. You know, is there, is there a king size bed? That's awesome. Is there a microwave in the room? Love it. Complimentary breakfast? Yes, one of those a Belgian waffle makers, you know, man, I love those things. Don't judge me, but, but I'm not against any of those things, right? I, I, I love all that stuff. But those things do not equal joy. True joy uh, is many things, but, but one of the main things that characterizes joy is joy is a mindset that Christ graciously gives us. Now, where am I getting this from? Well, in honor of Mother's Day, I want to do a little stitching, okay? Uh, but in this case, I'm not stitching fabric. I want to stitch uh, some phrases together from two verses that we just read, verse 2 and verse 5. And so, verse 2 says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. 
And then verse 5 says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, well, okay, so joy, you see joy up there at the top. Joy comes by being light-minded, and then this mindset is the mindset that Christ Jesus has. It's the mindset, this common way of thinking that Christ Jesus gives us. Now, when, when Paul talks about a common mindset, I don't think in any way he's saying that, um, that we kind of lose our unique perspective, okay? Uh, common mindset is not robotic uniformity. It doesn't mean that suddenly all of us have to like polka music and, uh, uh, and pralines and cream ice cream and, and, and no other kind, right? But, but it does mean this. A common mindset means that, that the most important truths about life and God and the Christian faith, in those important truths, there's no daylight between us. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're arm in arm. Now, on our best days, we pray for that. We pray for the mind of Christ. We pray for, in other words, a beautiful way of thinking, a beautiful way of feeling that leads to a beautiful way of living. It comes from Christ, this way of thinking. It's powered by Christ. It's forgiven often by Christ. It's, it, it imitates Christ. It gives glory to Christ Jesus. And this deep joy is contagious. So maybe you're thinking, come on, Larry, let's, let's get on with it. Uh, we, we've got a brunch to attend. So, so what is this mindset of joy? Right? What is this mindset of joy we're talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. And the best way I can, I can think to answer this question is that this mindset of joy is a mindset that kneels. Now maybe that sounds a little strange. Maybe you never in your life before have put the word joy and the word kneeling in the same sentence. But I'm gonna try to make my case to you this morning. First of all, I wanna say to you that I think this mindset of joy is a mindset that kneels gratefully toward heaven. Or you might say it's a mindset that bows down in joyful gratitude to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, this humble posture of kneeling, of grateful worship of God, as we've already done today, is a great passageway to deep joy. Now, where does this gratitude come from? Well, I think what Paul does in the very first verse we read is Paul takes this glorious inventory of all the spiritual treasure that is yours and mine in Christ Jesus. He spells it out for us pretty clearly in verse one. Therefore, he says, if, but really when he says if, it, it's kind of like since. Uh, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Paul, uh, some scholars think that what Paul is doing in verse 1 is he is mirroring uh, one of his favorite uh, benedictions. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, the love of God, God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And in many ways, it kind of feels like that's what's happening here. Encouragement from Christ, comfort from God's love, and, and fellowship or common sharing in the Holy Spirit. Encouragement that comes from Jesus, comfort that comes from being loved by God, unity that comes from having the Spirit with us, praying with us and for us, helping us, powering us to complete the mission God has for us. Why do we kneel? 
We kneel because deep encouragement is being showered down upon the discouraged. We, we kneel because deep love is there for those who feel unloved and unlovely. We kneel because of the power the Spirit gives us to unite us together. And it's almost like you pour all these things together, encouragement from, from Christ and comfort from the Father and, and the, the common sharing of the Holy Spirit. You pour all that together and you stir and what bubbles up? Tenderness and compassion. Now Paul will go on to say in verse 10 <clears throat> that one day everybody's going to kneel. He says in verse 10 that one day just the mere mention of the name of Jesus that every knee will bow. Heaven, earth, under the earth. One scholar puts it this way. He says that when Jesus returns in glory, the whole body of created intelligent beings in all departments of the universe will kneel. That's the future. But for people who trust in Christ, guess what? The future is now. When you and I practice that attitude of worshipful kneeling before God, there bubbles up inside of us a joyful unity in the body of Christ. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Friends, how could you hope to stop a church that is like-minded, that, that joyfully has the same love for Christ and one another, that is one in the Holy Spirit, and that all the important things in life are of one mind. How could you divide a church like that, or a family? Right? One with one mind, one heart, one spirit, one purpose. One of my favorite commentators, Alec Motier, uses the illustration of a, a church singing in unison together. Have you ever been in that church, maybe that concert hall, where the vocalists, skilled vocalists sing a cappella, and it's just so beautiful? It's electric, it gives you goosebumps? Well, well when a church thinks and acts and worships in harmony, right, joy results. Beauty results. You know, I'm a lifelong Baptist I'm a low church Baptist, okay? Uh, but uh, every now and then I'll find myself in high church settings. You know what I mean by high church? Kind of liturgical church settings, like say an Episcopal church. And, and many of the Episcopal churches I've been in have a unique architectural feature. At the base of every pew, kind of where your feet go, uh, there's this kneeler that kind of pivots down and up, down and up. And, uh, and if you're a lifelong Baptist like me and you're just sitting in the pew minding your own business and all of a sudden the priest says something and you're not paying close attention to it, but the people who, who are accustomed to that kind of worship, they listen for it and the next thing you know, they're, they're reaching down and they're lowering a kneeler and then they are kneeling down in prayer. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been to a service like that, it is up, down, up, down, up, down the whole service, okay? It takes some getting used to. It take, just my knees, it takes some getting used to, right? But I have to say, there's something so beautiful about never letting yourself get too comfortable in your pew. There's something powerful about being constantly reminded that you're not some paying customer in a theater seat. You are a grateful worshiper in the house of God. 
And surprisingly enough, this act of kneeling does not produce resentment. It's not at all like that annoying PE coach who says, you know, drop down and give me 20. It's not like that at all. No. It's not ever a sense of, oh, here we go again. We got to kneel down and worship. No, it's not, you know. When you're filled with that same mind, that same love, that same spirit, it actually completes your joy when you humbly bow down in grateful worship. Joyful humility, a mindset that gratefully worships God. But here's the kicker. We don't just save our kneeling for church. There's a second part to this joyful mindset. Not just a a mindset that gratefully kneels toward God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven, but also, secondly, a mindset that kneels humbly toward others. I need to warn you, right? Spiritual trigger alert. Things are about to get a little tricky here, okay? Because it's one thing to kneel before God and worship. Okay, okay, okay. But, But it's quite another thing to kneel to serve someone else. And yet, get this. When we're united in worship, when the mind of Christ animates our thinking, guess what? The very thing the Holy Spirit motivates us to do is to kneel to serve those around us. Isn't it interesting that this is exactly where Paul turns to next in verse 3? He moves from vertical worship, all the things that have been poured into us that we gratefully acknowledge, He moves from vertical worship to horizontal serving. It happens so quickly, doesn't it? Verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Look at those two phrases. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. What are those four words suggest to you when you put them together. When I apply them to myself, uh, it, it, it means that when I am in this frame of mind, selfish ambition and vain conceit, it means that Larry is always the best actor in whatever scene he walks into. Your best hope can be best supporting actor because Larry's here, right? It means that Larry has, a, has an ambition to be numero uno. Your best hope is the silver or the bronze, but you're not getting gold, These words suggest that Larry's constantly trying in vain, by the way, constantly trying in vain to make himself the center of the universe. I mean, if you took these four words in, in the extreme, it would mean that Larry wants you to kneel down before him, right? Now, of course, none of us would ever say that. We're way too polite, but, 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 Isn't there a sense that so often the way we live our lives, we are are constantly seeking the favorable attention of others? Isn't there a sense in the way that we live our lives that we constantly want my agenda to be the agenda? I wonder how many times you or I have hired ourselves as secret lobbyists to look after our own interests in every meeting, to make sure our own interests are well represented in what we're having for dinner, or where we go on a family vacation, or what movie we all decide to go see as a family, or how we will spend the annual Christmas bones. It's an opportunity for us, friends, to repent, to confess and repent selfish ambition and vain conceit. 
And what Paul wants us to know is if all of us are operating out of selfish ambition, if all of us are searching for vain glory, then life is going to be very chaotic. If all of our lives is playing king of the hill, right, uh, there can only be one person at the top of the hill and all the rest of us, I mean, it's just going to get violent, isn't it? It's going to get very competitive. I mean, if everybody wants the chicken breast and nobody wants the wings or the drumsticks or the neck, I'm not good with chickens. Uh, I mean, that's just not how a chicken is constructed, right? Makes me think of the story I heard of these two guys and they were going to share a bucket of chicken. And as soon as the lid is open, this one guy spies the pieces that he wants and he goes, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And his buddy says, you can have it. You can have it. You can have it. That's just kind of the way this life of selfish ambition goes. Now, I would never tell anybody to bow down to my wishes. But the problem is, too often, my wishes are the only wishes I see. And so Paul says in verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. So often, once again, my interests are in the foreground, your interests, God's interests are in the background. And here's the thing, I foolishly think that's going to bring me joy. I, I, so often, I think selfish ambition and vain conceit will bring me joy. But you know what they bring me? Friction, hurt feelings, tense undercurrents, shame, frustration. But what happens when the Holy Spirit uh, empowers me to do what Paul describes in humility to value others above myself, to not merely look at my own interests but the interests of others? That's different, isn't it? You know, that's what Jesus did when he washed his disciples' feet. To wash someone's feet is to literally place someone above you. To kneel to wash their feet is literally to put them above you. And Jesus said, the greatest among you are those who serve. Now, I want to be really clear here. I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm talking about voluntary serving. I'm not talking about someone demanding that you kneel and serve them. That's an act of injustice. That's not an act of freedom. I'm talking about an act of freedom and an act of love. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus kneels to serve. He kneels to wash feet. He kneels to welcome children. He kneels to serve lepers. He kneels to serve those that most of us wouldn't be caught dead hanging around. Jesus serves. He feeds. He heals. He reconciles. He restores. In fact, there's this beautiful section that we read, and maybe uh, in your Bible, uh, like my Bible, it's kind of laid out. Uh, like poetry, because it, a lot of people think it was, a, it was an early church hymn, uh, the lyrics to an early church hymn, uh, verses 6 through 11. Uh, here we see that contrast. Uh, uh, Jesus shows himself to be in that section what some commentators call the second Adam. You ever heard that phrase, the second Adam? You likely remember the awful sin of the first Adam and Eve. They were literally living in paradise. They were living in Eden, and yet they wanted a little bit more. They were living in paradise, but they wanted something that didn't belong to them. That's called envy or coveting. 
And instead of kneeling before God in gratitude, what they wanted was they wanted to be like God. That's what the devil sold them, and that's what they bought. And what did they do? They, they reached out to steal what did not belong to them. In, in that forbidden fruit, they reached out to steal a glory that was not theirs. That's what the first Adam does. But what does the second Adam do? He doesn't have to steal anything. He's God, right? He's God. He's the son of God. But as verse 6 says, Jesus doesn't try to take advantage of the privileges of being God. Adam tries to steal privileges that don't belong to him. What does Jesus do? Jesus takes all the privilege and he lays it down. He doesn't try to grasp it. He lays it down. And he kneels in obedience to God. And he pours himself out as a servant to others. Jesus humbles himself. Adam disobeys, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus kneels and obeys. Jesus takes Adam's judgment upon himself. He takes our judgment upon himself. Jesus defines the ultimate in serving by serving us on the cross. And he does it all, the author of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. He kneels in obedience for the joy set before him. You know something that I think is fascinating and, and, and secular uh, historians um, have validated this is that Jesus essentially made humility cool. Did you know that? One scholar has said that true biblical humility, uh, as, as is defined in, in Philippians chapter two, biblical humility was frowned upon in the ancient world. It was not a virtue. People thought humility was weak. Some people still do, by the way. They thought humility was weakness. But after humility, or after Jesus rather, humility came to be regarded as a virtue. Even, of course, with humble brag, we kind of work our pride into it, right? But, 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 but even then, we, we see humility as a virtue. Jesus teaches us that humble serving is a pathway to joy. N.T. Wright in his commentary on Philippians, he, he tells the story of getting invited to a really prestigious luncheon that a friend of his was hosting. He said there were about 20 to 30 people invited. And he said many of the invitees were well-known public figures. And, and uh, he said his friend who was hosting this lunch, he gets up, uh, he gets everybody's attention, he says a, a prayer to thank God for the food. And then as soon as he says amen, before anybody can start eating, he says he says very firmly, and he writes, says, he says, now I want you to remember the most interesting person in the room is the one you're sitting next to. He says that to everybody. The most interesting person is the one you're sitting next to. The best actor is on your left and on your right. How would it change our lives if instead of having to always be the best actor, we viewed the person sitting next to us as the best actor. How would our lives change if, if instead of asking all the time, what do I deserve, we asked, how can I serve? In fact, maybe God is bringing someone to mind right now, and you've been in a bit of a power struggle with them, their ambition versus your ambition, right? their agenda, your agenda. Maybe they're even kind of annoying. What would happen? if we decided to elevate their significance in our field of vision. You know, Jesus said it in Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do 
for me when we serve. We, we find the joy of serving Jesus. Now I know there's only one Jesus, and we're not Jesus. We say that over and over again. And so even as we read this text, we're grateful for grace and forgiveness. We call out to God and ask for his forgiveness for our selfishness. We ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can kneel before God in joyful worship and we can kneel before others in grateful service so that we can put their interests first, so that we can learn about them before we talk about us, so we can learn their agenda before we reveal our agenda. And maybe that's part of the reason why I was excited to preach this passage on Mother's Day. I think Amy put it so beautifully of all the reasons we have to be grateful for faithful mothers. Now, I am well aware of the temptation that uh, so many preachers have to idealize mothers. I've heard it said that if you show up at the average church on Mother's Day, the church will be packed, by the way, and uh, the theme of the sermon will be, honor your mothers. And then if you show up a few weeks later on Father's Day, the church will not be packed, and, uh, and the... Th- and the theme of the sermon will be, dads, get it together, right? Get off the sofa, dads, you know, and, uh, and that's not necessarily fair of us preachers to do that because there are certainly selfish moms in the world and unselfish dads in the world. But at the same time, I would guess that way more than 50% of us would say that if we had to think of the people in our lives who most personify. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it would be our moms. Garrison Keillor once wrote an op-ed for Mother's Day, and the title of it was, Nobody Loves You Like Your Mama Does. He said in this op-ed, he said, you could come home with venomous snakes tattooed on your face, and your mama would still see the good in you. He said, your mama knows when you're in trouble And you will get into deep trouble one day, count on it, but your mother will still love you. Like an old lioness, she'll come running even if you're 2,000 miles away. Today is my third Mother's Day without my mom. And uh, I guess I can now say out loud that old lioness was probably a pretty good description of her in her latter years. I think if I had said it when she was alive, she probably would have found out about it and misunderstood what I was saying and mauled me. Uh, (laughs) But like a lioness, my mom was strong. And like a lioness, she was fiercely protective of me. And I think I could say that few things gave her greater joy than when she was serving us. In her latter years, when I would go to visit, it would not be uncommon Uh, to see my dad lower the ironing board to the lowest level, and there she would sit in her wheelchair, and she would be ironing a brand new Sunday shirt, like this one probably, that she had bought for me that afternoon at Dillard's. And her arthritic hands would hurt, but there was no way I could get her to stop. And later that evening, she would serve me chicken parmesan and New York cheesecake that the same arthritic hands had made in my honor. And all the time, my Italian mom would say, you know, after she filled my plate to overflowing, she would say in Italian, manja, manja, which means eat, eat, baby, eat, you know. And of course, I always thanked her. I promise you, I always thanked her. But you know what? I'm not really even sure I needed to. 
I think serving her family just gave her so much joy. Friends, what if Jesus was on to something here? What if spending our lives trying to get people to bow down to our agenda is fruitless and joyless? What if Jesus meant it when he said that if you try to spend your whole life saving your life, you're just going to end up losing it. You're going to squander it in selfish ambition. What if selfishness is vain and pointless after all? What if humble serving is the way to true joy? And I said it earlier, I do believe with all my heart that one day all of us will kneel willingly or unwillingly when Jesus returns to the earth. One day, those of us who trust Christ, like the elders in Revelation 4, who've been crowned by the glory of Christ, will be throwing our crowns, laying our crowns down at Christ's feet and shouting, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. Friends, why wait? (laughs) Why wait to kneel in joyful worship? Why wait to kneel in joyful and humble serving? Let's make our faithful moms proud today. Let's start now. Would you pray with me? Lord, to read these words, to read these words is in some ways to feel deep conviction of all the ways we are neglectful of spiritual treasure, of all the ways that selfish ambition and vain conceit often define, at the very least, our thoughts and secret motives, if not our actions, Lord. And so, Lord, hear our confession and once again wash us clean with the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, through the power of your Spirit, convince us that you're on to something, that you have our joy in mind. Teach us what it means to kneel in humble worship, in joyful service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.